Rachel Mortimer, the chair of the NZTSOS, and your deputy, Mike Shaw. It's lovely to have you both. NZTSOS, of course, being New Zealand teachers speaking out with science. In other words, Rachel, looking at the facts and offering the facts to all the concerned parents out there, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's just using common sense. It's not so common right now. Oh, I, I 100% agree. We have a lot of um, teachers who were uh, mandated out, and these are science teachers and, and PE and health, and, and I mean, you name it. We have heads of departments, principals, and um, they knew something was wrong right from the start. So, yeah, we've, we've formed this organisation of educators just to try and fight what is going on. I often think, you know, the ones that if you're in any doubt as a Kiwi about what's going on, let's listen to our nurses who know what's happening in our hospitals. And let's listen to our teachers mm. who are meant to be in our classrooms training critical thinking into the next generation. So if you guys can't question and critical think, you can't possibly teach our children. I'm so grateful, Rachel, that you, that you have many, many teachers who've had the critical faculty to say, no, I'm going to stand back and speak my truth. How many in NZTSOS do you think? Um, approximately, we have 1,200 uh, registered members, but we kind of have looked at the fact that there's about 4,000 teachers who either left or were terminated or went on leave when the mandate hit. We're doing a follow-up from last week with you, Mike. We had uh, you and Dr. Dr. Allison talking about the wonderful appeal that you're doing. We'll get to that. But I just want to reiterate the letters and the um, the quality of desperation that you've read when you've been preparing the case that's going to go to appeal has deeply moved you, hasn't it? The, the horrific experiences of some of the teachers that you've read about, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. You read about, I think, over 30 affidavits in our uh, second case down there in the uh, High Court. And um, the stories were heartbreaking about the impact of the mandates, uh, not just on the teachers individually, but of course on their wider families and their schools and their the students, and even in, in the community, particularly in the in the north where I'm from, the, the school is part of the part of the community, and the impacts um, yeah were quite quite devastating. I think it's not overstating it to say traumatic. Uh, you know, one on a personal level, one of the things I saw there that really broke my heart, and I'm a I'm a thick-skinned Kiwi bloke, um, was you know one of our students who had difficulty at school there was one 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 male adult teacher that she could trust and knowing that he wasn't going to be there uh, for her you know in the in uh, the new year and coming into 2022 was was literally heartbreaking and uh, the one the one teacher she trusted mandated out of the job and he'd had two exemptions um turned down from from the from the government so that's that's just one example, probably, you could probably multiply that hundreds and hundreds of times throughout New Zealand. And that's such a point. It's the fabric of the school, Rachel, but it's the wider fabric of each little society, each little suburb around that school. A school's always been at the heart of our little communities in New Zealand, and even our communities within the bigger city like Auckland. So what is happening, Rachel, as far as you're aware of the teacher return to school? What the, the mandates are apparently lifted. Is it nice and smoothly handled or is it chaos out there? Yeah, I, I would probably say that we're looking at chaos at the moment. Um, 
when the mandates dropped, um, we a lot of the teachers contacted their schools and asked to actually come back to school because you know they had been ripped out so so cruelly. Um, just going back to Mike, the, the, what he had to say, the trauma that that these teachers suffered was, was huge. Whether they chose to take the vaccination and and maybe were injured or um, the fact that they were forced or coerced to take the, the jab to keep their jobs or whether they lost their jobs, all of them were deeply, deeply affected. Um, and then when the mandates dropped, um, many of them, many, many people said, oh, go back to school, it's all fine. But actually the reality is um, we've had members contacting us saying that they have applied for jobs or they have um, tried to get in to be relief teachers at a lower, a lower pay rate. And um, actually the, the schools are ignoring them. They're not actually contacting, they're not calling them up for relief. But yet we have a newspaper, how our schools are crying out for relievers and sending kids home. So um, one of the things that NZTSOS did is we sent a letter to the Ministry of Education because we have a, a foundation to teaching that talks about how it's all about inclusion and how we have acceptance and how we have collaboration within our as school society and we challenged them and asked them why if, if the mandates have dropped so many teachers were still um, on the benefit and not being allowed to go back to school and their response was well it was actually not up to the Ministry of Education it's actually up to the Board of Trustees each individual Board of Trustees and if the Board of Trustees deem us to be a health and safety risk um, we do not get called up. And that is happening in quite a few schools. I know there are schools that are allowing the teachers back. And so thank bless, that is wonderful. That's how it should be. Um, but there are many schools out there who are choosing to send their students home. Their seniors who have already missed so much school, so much NCA, they're sending those kids at home. And there is a huge sickness rate with all the teachers at school. A lot of the teachers who stayed, they've had COVID twice or three times and the kids are constantly getting sick and yet they won't actually call up these teachers, these experienced teachers. And I'm talking teachers who have been teaching for 10, 15, 20 years with experience. They might've been head of departments. They might've been, uh, a lot of them were actually specialized in uh, literacy and they are not getting called up. Instead, they are pulling out retired people um, or they're using the teachers college students to come in and actually getting them to relieve, um, to be long-term relievers because they don't have enough staff. Using teachers college students who would still be in the middle, in the midst of their training, who yes. would not have any idea of any, anything to hold to, not a candle to hold to the experience of these long-term teachers who are still being banned. Yeah. That makes no sense. <laughs> there is... There is just so much in what you say, Rachel, that makes no sense. For example, to those teachers still banning those who didn't take the jab, have you asked yourselves, why are you all getting so sick? I thought this government said this jab was effective and you've taken two, possibly three. There is so much as just from my, my training as a journalist, it's, it just does not make sense that the teachers who remained are not asking these questions, Rachel. And also the government, having a policy like that that is not uniform across the country must leave open the doors to venal behaviour, vindictive behaviour. Have you heard much about that? We talked before about the ripping of communities 
Are school communities in the staff room being ripped apart? Is there great division? Are you hearing about that? We, we are hearing from some of the teachers going back that it is very difficult um, for them. Um, but some of the teachers who have gone back, probably the most heartbreaking thing is the fact they've walked back into the staff room and people haven't even acknowledged what has happened. Uh, they, they, they just treat them as though they have just gone away on holiday and they've come back, oh, so nice to have you back. Nobody is talking about the impact of what actually happened or what it actually did to these teachers. Um, probably the biggest issue I have is that when or just before the mandates actually hit, uh, many teachers were told not to tell their students. We were, we were actually given a gag order to not tell our students that we were leaving or why we were leaving. So um, many of the students are unaware of what actually happened. For, for them, they think that their teachers just simply walked out and they didn't care anymore. And that to me is just heartbreaking because one of the things that you do as a teacher is you build these relationships with these young people and you are a constant. In some of these schools, you are a constant, um, you know, you, you are there for these kids. And I've talked to many teachers who were told, do not tell them, tell the students why you are leaving. And all the students would have thought was that Miss has just gone away. They don't care about us anymore. Miss has just left. And and that, I think, is the biggest travesty because that would have done a huge amount of damage already to our young people who are dealing with so much. Um, there is so much mental health issues that have stemmed from the lockdowns and there is so much mental health issues from the fact that a, a lot of the, the teenagers had to go out and get the shots to keep their weekend and part-time jobs so that they could support their families because of the, the state of finances in their homes. Um, so they are dealing with a lot and to be basically thought of as, as nobody by, by the government is, is very heartbreaking. Um, I have heard that some teachers going into the classroom, the, the teachers or the, or the principals have had major meetings with them where they've sat them down and and literally gone through the health and safety to make sure that they were safe at school. And they, these are teachers who have, who have been professionals for many years, and we are being questioned of being a risk to our students. I mean, that's just crazy. We would not do anything to harm our students. And for many of us, we actually had exemptions or we researched what was happening overseas and we knew that we were not a risk to our students. We knew that this would not work. Um, so to still be deemed a risk is, is actually very, um, it's very harmful. Um, one other thing that we've actually NZTSOS have done is the fact that um, some teachers, when they have been terminated, the Teachers' Council have sent them letters from the Teachers' Council saying that they have been dismissed. And that is on their record now, which actually the connotations is, is really bad. So normally when you have a teacher who is dismissed, it's for inappropriate conduct or they are, um, are missed, they're not actually able to teach. They've done something really bad. Um, but some of our teachers or quite a few of our teachers have had letters from the Teachers' Council saying that they were dismissed and it's now on their record. Rachel, this is heartrending. This is really heavy, heavy stuff in terms of levels of lack of humanity, in terms of illogic, in terms of just outright cruelty. Mike, 
the NZT SOS that you and Rachel have been heading up, you must have been an absolutely essential uh, source of support for some of these beautiful teachers who stood by their principles. You must have had desperate people yeah. coming to you. No, there's been quite a um, like a, almost like a pastoral role for the for the organisation, and just ones finding that that they're not on their own. There's other people that feel how they feel and and view life how they view life. So there's been quite a quite a good support network uh, built through the organisation. You know, some of our staff members right at the beginning there, uh, when the mandates were were coming in, you know, they they're coming into their staff rooms and um, feeling ostracized, feeling uneasy, uh, you know, even little, little bits of paranoia on both sides coming in the way that the sideways, sideways glances, the hushed voices, you know, we, I had some, some staff members um, say, and I, I don't know whether it was real or imagined, but they feel, felt like people were walking around them and uh, that kind of thing in the, in the setting of a, of a um, school, which normally enjoyed unity and uh, collegiality now to have this divisiveness and this us and them type of situation come in, uh, they yeah, they felt terrible and and the kind of scenarios that Rachel talked about, um, people not knowing uh, that their that their even their colleagues were leaving or or that kind of thing, uh, or their staff. It was it's a very you know sort of I would say over and above the actual health issues, just the, men, the mental health um, issues and the emotional damage. Of the uh, divisiveness of us and them, when our when our prime minister announced, you know, from the podium of truth, uh, we must protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. That that um, was such a terrible thing to say because you know we know that the only only way you're going to get a virus is off off a person that has a virus, not from an unvaccinated person. So just split split communities right down the centre. And, and I do feel for um, boards of trustees and principals, uh, principals were often the, the bearers of the bad news. The, they were the ones that had to pull the trigger and um, you know, let, let people go, that kind of thing, work through the, work through the process that the uh, NZ School Trustees Association had dictated that we follow. Uh, so we are very, very divisive and very um, yeah, inhumane, I think is the word you used, Lynn, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, um, Rachel, there is a possibility that um, the government could step back in the future when a principal is sued by a former employ employee because that former employee has been jabbed and is now injured and that's established. They could go back to a school principal and actually personally sue them if they're not allowed an ACC claim. That, that could be where the principals could see how much the government will stand by them or possibly just say, hey, you're on your own here. We never passed a law forcing mandates. You chose to mandate all your staff. It's on the principal's head. Have you, have you got an understanding about that possibility? Rachel, have you looked into that? Um, yeah, I have actually looked into that. And um, a lot of the principals, I think, um, as Mike said, for many of them, they were really backed up against a wall. They, they had no choice uh, in their minds. And the Board of Trustees, we actually had quite a few Board of Trustees members. If you, if you look around the country, there's a lot of Board of Trustees who are parents who actually resigned when the mandates came in because they probably saw the writing on the wall and there was no way they wanted to be part of this. Um, and 
And so again, we have disruption, <clears throat> excuse me, at the highest level. Um, ultimately, though, the problem is, is that we end up getting blacklisted. And for many of the teachers, we, we, we have looked into potentially taking these claims, but already we are blacklisted and we have got black marks against our name. We've been labelled as troublemakers. We've been labelled as uh, people who who are just trying to, to make trouble for the schools. And in fact, one of the one of the things that happened is after the mandates that I actually went to the newspapers and I had the PPTA rep come in and the first thing she said to me was, oh, so you're the troublemaker. Let's have a conversation. Oh um, gosh. So, so um, <clears throat> for, for some of us, um, it, it's, it's a real risk. I've talked to many teachers and if they go and try and claim personal grievances, um, their names are out there and they're already struggling to try and get work. They're already struggling to feed their families. Um, so it, it'll be very interesting to see where this goes because we are, as NZTSOS, we are looking at those possibilities of maybe doing a, a group claim under the Health and Safety Act and the breaches that actually occurred. Um, so we are very much looking into that, but we are just kind of concentrating on one, one court case at the time. Um, I think that teachers in particular, we, we like to follow rules and we like to do due process and we like to make sure that we tick all the boxes. So the fact that we've already been to court twice and the fact that we are looking at more legal action kind of shows that, that even though the government isn't playing fair in our minds, so if they keep on changing the rules, we are still going to do whatever we can to fight the way that, um, that shows that we are using due process. I think that's a real warning for Kiwis as well, when so many teachers were willing to stand up and say no, when naturally they are rule followers, <clears throat> rule um, makers as well. But also with our nurses, it was the same thing. Both, of, both sets of these professionals dedicated the nurses to their patients, you to your pupils. You know, teachers typically are really dedicated and care about the pupils they have. So for so many in each group to stand up and say, no, this isn't right. It's a real tell for other Kiwis. Why have they done this? Why have they been willing to put so much on the line? There must be something wrong with the way this was rolled out. Rachel, what would you love to see from the government? Let's now move to something positive and we're going to talk about the appeal as well, Mike, because it's a devastating picture you're painting. But let's go to the positive. What would you like the government to do? I, I, I've actually been on record to say this before. I actually think the government owes a whole bunch of people an apology. I think what they have done has just, it's just ripped our country apart. But they need to be held accountable. They need to say, we got it wrong. And they need to make sure that, that people are reinstated um, where, where they, they were. It's just, for, for many, what happened, it was a career killer. Um, we work our whole lives to get up to a certain level when we're actually teaching. And then to have that ripped away, I think that there needs to be a, a, an account for that. I think the government, what, one of the things that we try and teach our, our children, or one of the biggest things that I'd like to teach the, stu the students is the fact that, you know, for every action, there is a consequence and you own up to it and you actually try and make it right. Um, the government, it's our head of our country. It's not that hard. They should be trying to make this right. They were wrong. And they should, I see compensation in future years for that. By the way, when you addressed the principals before and said at the time, Rachel, they really had no choice. 
For me, I had a visceral reaction to that. I think each of us had a choice. It wasn't an easy choice. And someone said to me the other day, if you ever wonder what you would have done in Hitler's Germany, would you have stood up to an oppressor and said, whatever the risk, I'll stand up and speak my truth. And together, there'll be many of us. I'll inspire others to be courageous. Or would I have gone along, stayed silent, allowed, said, hey, I've got no choice. I've got to go along with the bully. You now know which side you would have been on had you been in Hitler's Germany. And wow. that is mm. a confronting thought, Mike, isn't it? Yeah, when you put it like that. Where did you find, Mike? Where did you find your courage? Oh, well, for me, as a Board of Trustees um, member, we just uh, consistently tried to support our staff members and their rights. Um, and it was difficult when, you know, we had, we had the opportunity to, to, do, to make a stand but when it came down to the to the wire, just just through the process of democracy in the in the board, um, we reluctantly went along with the law. The, the the law the law says that we cannot instruct the um, or that the principal must do what's uh, yeah we can we can instruct the principal as long as it's lawful. So for us to actually instruct the principal to do something unlawful. Uh, was what some of the other bus, uh, board of trustee members had problems with, but initially, initially we were talk, we were just telling them, hey, look, just don't do it. Yes. What's the what's the worst possible thing that can happen to you? You'll get an infringement notice. Yes. You know what's that? An eighty dollar fine. Well, I'll pay that. Just don't do it. And um, so you, I think I think you're right. It was an opportunity for people to stand up and draw draw the line. Mm. Um, and to some extent, we missed it. Um, yeah. And where the, where the law is clearly wrong, where it is inhumane, where it is passing over into breaches of human rights and human freedoms and breaches of democracy, there is a very strong argument to say the law becomes an ass in that, in that the people who are making the laws, they have to be of the highest integrity. And we all know now that this group are not. So this is where it's been such a dilemma for people, yet they keep following Rachel, your courage is extraordinary. I've had some personal dealings with you on other groups that we're on. Your, your courage is deep and vast. Where have you sourced yours from? Um, so Liz, I've been teaching um, history and pack mentality and um, psychology for the last 15 years. And I, I, when all this started to unravel, I sat there and I thought to myself, I can see where this is going. And I promised myself many years ago when I taught my students this, if anything like this ever happened, I would never, ever go quietly. I would never, ever not go along. I would never, ever go along with this simply because I, it's not it's not within me. To me, it's almost like I would be ripping out a part of my soul if I had gone along with this. Um, but one thing that, that was most disheartening when it came to the whole law and the mandates, or sorry, the mandates, which were not law, is the fact that we had principals, um, they were handed medical certificates by their teachers that literally on the medical certificate that said, if we take the shot, we are going to be killed or this is going to happen. Um, I have a actual blood disorder, which um, research says if I took the shot, I would be very highly likely to end up having a stroke or blood clots. And even with that peer reviewed study from overseas, with the shot and also a medical medical certificate, my principal just actually said, "I don't care." You know, so right. for some, so for some, just, people, just stop there. Just stop there. Personally, how did that feel? That moment, 
How did that feel human to human? Very, very difficult because having somebody say that they're, they're willing for you to put your life at risk. And it's not just me. I'll just make that really clear. There are so many people that I know who have put their life at risk by either taking, by, by taking the shot or losing their jobs. It wasn't a choice. I get really upset when you have the general public who turn around and go, well, if you cared about your kids, you obviously didn't because you left um, and you had a choice and you chose not to do it. That is heart-wrenching because for many of us, we actually didn't have a choice. Um, it, was, it was that risk of our health or our jobs. And to me, it's a no-brainer. I, I had a teacher aide friend who um, went and got the shot and she ended up having anaphylactic shock and they brought her back. And then they, they turned to her and they said, oh, well, we'll come back in six weeks for your next shot. Um, we'll have a crash cart standing by. Oh, it's not the first time I've heard that story. That <laughs> it's just beyond belief that anyone could think that's, that's acceptable. But then these teachers... Basically, have, for have people gone, who don't understand, the crash cart means you die and you're brought back to life, they hope, but there's a chance you're not. Yeah, yeah. It's dicing but, with death. It is. But for many of us, I mean, I have to say, our teachers, our NZTSOS teachers, um, the teachers who stood up and the ones who, I mean, not only, there's so many teachers who have stood, stood up, they're incredibly brave. They're amazing people because a lot of them or some of them have gone back into the schools and they have walked back into that staff room where they have been told that they were not good enough or they were dirty or they were, they were, they were unvaxxed so they shouldn't be around children. We, we, we got classed as biological weapons at one point. On the 16th of November, it was illegal for us to walk back into class. If we had gone to school on the 16th of November, we could have been arrested. But some of them have walked back in. It's amazing. And we, we need to take a pause here and realise and remember how few people got COVID and question, was this ever actually a pandemic? I leave that hanging there because as a journalist, that one has not been answered for me, that question. But then we need to look at just your observations, both of you and the groups that you're working with. Have you observed whether those in schools, Rachel, are getting very sick with all the jabs they've taken compared with the NZTSOS, the teachers who refused the jabs for whatever health reasons, and that's their private business and their their actual democratic right to say no to a medical procedure. Have you observed whether they are getting much less sick, many fewer repeat illnesses? Because I'm just doing those OBS now in my groups and I'm finding a vast difference between those who've had the jabs and who haven't. And this is just observational. We're not saying it amounts to anything more than a discussion, but we need to have that discussion. What are you noticing, Rachel? Um, yeah, I'm noticing that a lot of my colleagues who um, took the jab, really young, healthy people, have been out a lot. They've had COVID two or three times. They're constantly sick, um, you know, and then we have the, the people in my immediate group association who haven't had the jabs, and they may have had COVID once, and they were sick for a couple of days, maybe tired for a week, and, and they were completely fine. We have one of our members that one, um, from the NZTSOS, she came up to Wellington with us and we all got COVID up in Wellington at the uh, court case um, because somebody, you know, was up there at the time. 
and um, you know she's got a lot of, of risk risk factors. You know she's she's um, she's got diabetes. She's um, overweight. She's got other health issues. You know she spent the same amount of time in bed as me. Relatively, she 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 should have. She was the poster child for somebody who should have ended up in hospital. The ones that they all warned us would end up in hospital and take all the hospital beds because you are unvaccinated. She didn't. You know she she just went through and it was like yeah no, I was sick for a week it wasn't that big a deal um and as as my friend says you know if if as teachers they had thrown us out and it had stopped the spread in schools if say we had all been thrown out and nobody got COVID in schools and all the teachers were fine and everything was hunky-dory we would turn around and say oh well maybe we were wrong but the fact of the matter is if you look at the amount of absences and you look at the shutdown of the schools over the last six months, um, that data is really telling um, <clears throat> because if it was all about health, the one thing that we proposed to, the, to our PPTA, and we won't even talk about the union who did not actually support its members, um, the one thing that we suggested was if it was all about health and we knew that that COVID was, you could catch it and you could transmit it even if you were unvaxxed or vaxxed, we suggested that we were happy to get rat tests, you know, twice or three times a week. We were happy to yeah. put everybody to be completely um, with the face masks and, and take those precautions. If it was about health, then that would have stopped the spread in schools if we were all being regularly tested. But no, no, they told us, sorry, it's only the unvaccinated. You are the dangerous ones. Get out. And then look what happened. Everyone got sick. The, it's, it's actually, Mike, fascinating to hear this because you're dealing with quite large numbers of unjabbed people so that becomes the control group that I can't find in the world data from Pfizer it was a compromised control group they ended up jabbing the control group so that then was not a valid control group you have a control group what are your observations we're not presenting this as science, but we're just saying Kiwis begin to observe patterns. What are you What are you noticing? Well, yeah. Well, firstly, just coming back to some other things that Rachel said there. Um, yeah, early in 2022, when every teacher in New Zealand schools was was vaccinated, you know, we we quickly saw schools closing and um, you know staff and members away with COVID 19. So clearly that showed that vaccinating your staff members wasn't keeping COVID out of the school. Right there, right there, anybody that was watching would should have realized the whole farcical nature of the whole thing. If the, if the idea is to keep our schools safe, clearly this is not working. Um, and I'll stop you there, Mike, because remember the claim was safe and effective. So from that, we can say it was not effective. We can write that off. That statement was not a truth. From yep. the podium of many, what many people called lies, not truth, in the parliament. Yeah. And the other, right. the other, the other drop down from that was the rationale for vaccinating our, our staff members, mandating the vaccine, was to protect the most vulnerable, the the, uh, the students. So clearly, clearly that wasn't working. You know, they were vaccinated um, teachers were bringing COVID into the school. So right there, they should have been thrown out. And all those other measures uh, that Rachel mentioned, you know, um, boards boards were prepared to do that around the country, get their get their staff tested. Not every school, uh, some were holding the line, you know, holding the narrative. But in terms of the uh, control group, I can't really um, say much about that other than my own personal experience. I have a vaccinated 
daughter-in-law and an unvaccinated son, <laughs> he thought that was hilarious that she had to be protected from him. <laughs> and uh, but then they they both got COVID, and she was she's a nurse, so she uh she, but she was um a lot sicker than he was. He just got back on the tractor and away he went back to work basically. Um, and but she was a few days in bed. But uh, uh, so that was, you know, that's the only real anecdotal um, evidence I've seen with my own eyes and my own family. My, my grandchildren uh, got COVID and then um, would have been a matter of a couple of weeks ago, they had a flu that was going around and clearly the, just the regular flu knocked them out more than the, the so this dreaded COVID um, virus. So yeah, a whole lot, you know, a whole lot of stuff. I think if people were dropping dropping like flies around us and dropping dead and that, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I don't want to minimize the virus, but it doesn't really seem that it was anywhere near as serious as what we, all the, all the uh, projected models and all that kind of thing. It's not this fearful thing that was going to wipe, wipe out vulnerable communities and all that kind of thing. So. Thank you, Mike, for that. And Rachel, here I, I often drop in in interviews just to remind people who are listening to mainstream media you must always ask when you hear their numbers, so many COVID cases, the question is how many of those people who are sick in hospital or who have died, how many have, ja have had jabs, how many jabs have they had, and how many are not jabbed? And you have to compare those numbers, which the government, of course, Rachel, is not putting out. I want to move the lens, though, to the students. You've talked about the students getting sick. What has been the mental effect, do you think, oh. on students? of these constantly changing teachers, of losing the teachers they love, of young teachers who are completely inexperienced coming in. What's happened, do you think, Rachel? Well, anecdotally, um, so I've got students, I, when, when some of my students have become ill, I've, I've actually had kids on the phone crying to me. These are the ones who have been triple jabbed because they had no choice. I've had a student on the phone crying to me because she thought she was going to die because the fear that has been perpetrated by a government like she she was honestly terrified she was going to die from COVID um, and, and that is not a good mental health place to be um, this poor child and then I have students who um, I, I do know students whose teachers they haven't even gone because you, you know part of part of what we have in the school system especially with um, from year nine to year 13 is you need specialist classroom teachers in the, in the classroom and what they've done is they've turned around in some schools and they are using primary trained teachers to teach specialist um, high school subjects and I do know of some schools where they have a primary school teacher teaching year 13 English um, and where the students actually haven't gotten any credits all year um, you know so they are having a huge hit to the facts that they're not only out all the time because the seniors get sent home because they can't send the juniors home when they don't have enough staff. So you have year 11 to 13 NCA um, students who are being sent home with not really a lot of support. They might be on the internet. They might have some stuff to do. But then you also have the problem of um, not enough specialist classroom teachers to actually deliver the content. So these kids, a lot of them are going to be lacking that schooling and those credits to get into um, university or polytechs over the next year or so, um, simply because they haven't got those, those, those um, teachers. Um, as for the mental health, 
um, we we did a study um, NZ uh, NZTSOS. We we actually put a survey out, didn't we, Mike? Um, yeah. To families asking them about the impact the mandates were having on this on their kids, on their family, on their kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think we got over a thousand responses, and um, the people reading these responses, it was absolutely crushing to hear um, the impact that this was having on the young people. Because we also have to not only remember the fact that the teachers were booted out, but a lot of the kids who were not vaccinated, especially the teens that, you know, from about the 14 or the 12 and up, they were excluded from their sports. They were excluded from their arts. They were excluded. That we had kids when um, school started back, if they walked into the classroom without a mask, we had some schools who would isolate students and put them in a, in, a, in a referral room to keep them away from the other students. Um, <clears throat> we had some students who were yelled at by teachers for being unvaccinated. If they found out the students were unvaccinated, some teachers yelled at the students, telling them that they were putting the other people at risk. Mm. Um, there, there are so many stories that I've heard about these poor students. I, I know of one principal yelling at a parent and a student because that student hadn't been vaccinated um, in, in a school and how dare they come to school without being vaccinated, um, even without having the, the mandate to do so. Like crazy stories. Mike, that is absolutely horrific. It's just horror on horror. Yeah. This is like a dystopian nightmarish <laughs> movie. What I do want to address, Mike, is people are really in New Zealand, largely perplexed about the whole bomb hoax thing last week or bomb scare or whatever it was, a lot of Kiwis are very dubious saying, this all seems to be being fed into New Zealand from America. This is how America does it. Big school scares. And where's all this rubbish coming from? This is not New Zealand. I, have you looked into those bombs, supposed bomb scares last week? I haven't. No, it, it, it kind of, you know, flash, flash through my notifications and and I, I ignored it. I mean, oh, yeah. Okay. It's, That's um, interesting because a lot of Kiwis I'm talking to say the same. It just feels like it's manufactured. Doesn't feel real. What made you ignore it? Oh, I'm not too sure. Exactly. Just uh um you just 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 didn't seem to be something to take seriously. And then yeah. and then um and then there was the um allegation that it was the anti-maskers that had generated it. And I thought, well, that's this just sounds like rubbish right from the start. So, yeah. you know, I can only, I, I don't think I even clicked on it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is so, I've got to say, Rachel, there's something really healthy about that. You talked about teaching critical thinking in schools, teaching history. Let's not forget that fear is the absolute playbook of any tyrannical leader, isn't it? Let's, let's briefly dive into your historical knowledge, Rachel. If someone wants to manipulate populations, they first start with fear. I mean, Hitler did that. Stalin, all of them have done that. It's true, isn't it? Well, it's, it's really interesting um, because when you go back to the basis of psychology, if you've ever heard of the um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, have you ever heard of that particular pyramid? I have. Um, <clears throat> so down Just the if bottom... you can explain that briefly, yes. Yeah. So, so what we have down the bottom, uh, so this is, uh, you know, we have food pyramids, we have, um, you know, other pyramids, but this one here, if you go away and look it up, you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs. 
down the bottom, these are the essential things that we have and we need to actually keep on functioning as a healthy adult. Um, we need food, we need water, we need shelter. Um, and then we go kind of go up the pyramid and the next thing that we need is actually things like security and safety. Um, and that actually supersedes friendship and relationship. Um, and we all know, I, I like to tell the story to my kids about how even the best people when they're faced in, in a fair situation, we have that part of the brain where we react instinctively. Um, and a really good example is the fact that um, <clears throat> many years ago, I was quite scared of, of dogs and I went walking with my sister. And I think I'm a nice person. I, I love people. I, I think I'm a kind person. And I, I would never, I thought, do anything that would show that I was not a, a kind person. Um, but off in the distance, we were walking and I heard this really loud barking and it sounded like a really ferocious dog. And what I did, I mean, even now it stuns me, but I pushed my sister in the direction of the dog and I took off running the other way. <laughs> and by the time she caught up to me, she's like, what the heck? What did you do? And I said, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. It was just instinctual. And that was because of a fear response. And we all have that fear response. And I think over the last two years, our government has spent a very good amount of time and money and media to perpetrate and, and perpetuate this fear response in people. So a lot of people are running around in this heightened state of anxiety and fear. And so because it supersedes relationships and, and belonging, this is where we have this divide between friends and family because in people's minds, they're so scared of what this terrible virus is going to do with them or to them that they are willing to sacrifice friends and relationships because they just want to be safe. That is the innate being of who we are. We, safety is key to what we do. And the amount of people who have lost families and friends simply, and, and I think it's heartbreaking. I actually never thought New Zealand would do this. I, I, I thought New Zealand was better than this. I really did. The biggest heartbreak for me was the fact that New Zealanders turned around and they let fear get the better of them without any real basis to it. And, and that is heartbreaking. There's room to, I, I felt that a lot of last year, angry and hurt and confused. How could you not critically think, now I feel great compassion when you look at the billions this government has spent to pull this off. I mean, mm. millions and millions and millions of our dollars that could have built new hospitals, could have built new schools, could have created the most wonderful, harmonious society, helped our most poverty-stricken millions gone into advertising, messaging. And, and, and still they're spending thousands and tens of thousands. The latest uh, bulletin out for the principals talks about how instead of hiring us, they are willing to spend something like a $10,000 incentive for um, overseas teachers to come to New Zealand. So they're going to pay them $10,000 per teacher to get them over here and they're going to fast track their training for NCA so they're not actually really going to do any training they're just going to pluck them from overseas pay them a $10,000 bonus and get them over here to take the roles in the schools which again is ironic because we have thousands of teachers sitting here going why are you not employing me and there Rachel 
is the parallel with our nurses and that makes me weep we have our beautiful kiwis at home with years of experience so much to offer in teaching and nursing and you are still being violated so mike let's finish on a really positive note because kiwis who are watching this who say what can i do there is something they can do they can get right behind nzt sos who courageously are taking this through the law courts to an appeal you can look at last week's interview which we will link underneath this where mike explains it in more detail but just give us a summary and where you are at this week because i said we're going to do a few weekly um mm. reach outs to you so people can really keep up with where this is going all right so probably right from the onset i think um, listeners need to be aware that the goal of the appeal is to completely reverse the uh, previous judgment so that the um, this whole COVID-19 response vaccination order bill of 2021 is um, deemed invalid. So, In other words, mandating teachers out of their jobs because they chose not to take a medical procedure is, is to be ruled invalid. That's where this is to go. It's basically it. Yeah, so we're, not, we're going for the whole, you know, the whole deal. Um, you know, we're not mucking around. We're, we're basically yeah, looking at that law being struck down and um, off the books so that this, this what we've talked about for the last few, few minutes, that never ever happens again. So that's the goal, that's the long-term, that's the target, so. It's so courageous and it's going to be a seminal case, a crucial case for us all to follow. You had heartbreak in the first rounds and there were many reasons where uh, the, the judgment can be pulled apart on appeal and be shown up to be um, to have flaws in it that need to be questioned on appeal. But the key, Mike, is that you have enough money to do this, isn't it? Yeah. You have to have public support to be able to do this. So tell us about that. We are going to add your account, the NZT SOS account, and ask all Kiwis, please, can every Kiwi who cares about our teachers and our future generations of children having freedom with our teachers free to teach, and not shipping them in from overseas and doing this nonsense that the government's doing, please put $10 at least in, $10. If, if a million of us put $10, can you imagine the money they will have for this appeal? We need our teachers That's to right. be supported by all of us. But how is, your, how is your funding going, Mike? Okay, so the minimal amount that this court case is going to cost is $15,000. The, the maximum amount is $50,000. So we're, we're about... Uh, we're getting close to 30,000, 30, 25,000 now in. So we're kind of halfway through. We don't know what the final bill will be, but we do know that it's going to be a maximum of 50. So we need that. We need the funds. We thank everybody who's contributed so far. It's been great, very generous, but we're about halfway there and we need to keep that, keep that uh, coming in. Yeah, as you say, $10 here, $20 here. It all adds up, but the, you know, there may be... Uh, uh, businessmen out there who are able to contribute more and we'd be very very grateful for that but uh, it's just so important uh, we're we're, we're thankful for frontline law who have um, discounted their rate and they're they're invested in it they've got skin in the game frontline law for our listeners uh, that's matthew haig and uh, he he took on the case for the police in the new zealand defense force and won that case back in um yeah uh, february they're still working through some issues with the, particularly with the defense force trying to uh, do their own internal mandates, but the, but the, um, we're encouraged that we've, we've got somebody that's experienced and got somebody that's already had a win under their belt. 
uh, and they're, they're moving forward with us. So, so this week, we finalize all the paperwork and we get it all in to, to the Court of Appeal. And the next step is to, to uh, ask the court for a hearing date. So we're thinking probably will be September. And uh, so it's going to happen, you know, listeners, it's going to happen quite rapidly. This is not going to be a drawn out thing. So we'll be able to give you, Liz, um, updates on how things are going. But you know, there's a there's an end there's an end um, end time in sight. You know, it's not going to be dragged out, dragged out. Well, as far as we can see at this stage, anyway. So you know, it's sort of going to be a burst of intense fundraising and, and intense activity, and and we'll get a result. It's absolutely wonderful, and I think the other thing, Rachel, we want lots of people in Wellington for that appeal in mid September when that happens. We want them to see how many Kiwis are willing to get behind our beautiful teachers, don't we? I agree. I actually think that um, the way that we're going to make a difference or convince the um, the judgments, I think that the courts are really stacked against us, is actually that show of the people who are behind us. Um, I, I actually think that there are many people around New Zealand who were horrified by um, the pulling out of their teachers, and they, they're definitely seeing an impact on their own on their own kids at the moment. Um, and so. Yeah, I, I think having them in Wellington and actually we probably will be trying to organise something in Wellington um, during the days of the appeal, just like we did um, with the, the court case. We ended up with quite a few people and we actually protested the day after Wellington, um, the, the, the debacle there. Um, we were The teachers were actually standing outside the train station and we were being followed by the police with big signs saying we want our jobs back and we, you know, so I mean, we would love to have not just the educators, but parents and, and kids um, out there um, just actually helping us to get the message across that actually this is wrong. And, and it's not just about the teachers. And I think you kind of said um, a little bit about this. This would actually be a precedent. If we want, win this, this means that every other sector who has been mandated and told that that they had to take this jab um, and they had no choice, it means that they then have a precedence that they can again fight in the courts or, or it literally is showing the rest of the country that this was wrong, this, this, this mandate was wrong. And that means there will be huge pressure, sadly, on the judiciary when the judicial arm of government is meant to be completely separate from the executive arm of government. There have been question marks. So we are going to, all of us, beg our judiciary to do your role, which is say to any government overreach, to you, back off. You are the government, we are the judges, and we must be fully independent of any government influence. As a lawyer, it breaks my heart to even think that anyone on our judicial benches could succumb to that kind of pressure, and let's pray they don't. But a lot of Kiwis will be watching, and we're going to make sure they are, because we'll keep in touch with both of you. I'd love to do another shorter update next week but Rachel it was a delight to have you on because I think I think so many parents there are so many little babies that have been born in these lockdowns from these lockdowns all you young parents what is the school system you want it is now that you have to make a stand for it if you want it purified from this frankly evil that it has gone through may I commend every single teacher who had the courage to see this through Rachel through your NZTSOS could you send my deepest respect to all of your all of your group and may we have unity once again in our schools and our communities thank you both mike and rachel you're welcome thank you so much talk next week okay. we'll do.
Bye. Lovely.